Caldwell Medicine Review, episode 76, for Thursday, December 21st, 2017. You're listening to the only podcast recording on a computer with a paperclip stuck in the power supply fan. I hope everybody has been having a good week so far. We're nearing in on Christmas. And of course, like every podcast, I'm going to have a Christmas episode. So be sure to tune in for that. Uh, interesting news today. A couple. I'm going to go over a couple stories. Tax cut, of course. And there's an update on the Bundy trial. Clive and Bundy. And that arm standoff. Let's see. I guess Eminem is gay now or something? Or he joked about it very awkwardly and, and it didn't seem like he was joking. I'll get into that. Let's see, uh... Sarah Palin's son was arrested. And uh, let's see what else. CNN has an article about opioids killing more people than breast cancer. It doesn't surprise me. But who would have guessed Rosie O'Donnell made the news? The laughs never end with her. She tweets, so how about this? I promise to give $2 million to Senator Susan Collins and $2 million to Senator Jeff Flake. They vote no. This is in regards to the tax bill, of course. No, I will not kill Americans for the sewer rich. It's supposed to be super rich. DM me Susan, DM me Jeff. That'd be direct message in case you have no clue what Twitter is. And it says no shit, two million cash each. Bribery! The people have claimed. Sounds like bribery to me. I mean, you can't even donate more than $10,000 to, uh, for a campaign contribution, from what I understand, so. That song you heard there for the opening was Moonlight Hall by Kevin McLeod. And you can, and, uh, check out his website, Incompetech.com, for royalty-free music and graph paper. Excuse me, graph paper. If I were to continue the trend of the other shows. So this tax bill, you know, I'm not going to get into the tax bill too much. It's one of those things, there's, there's these bills, you know, it's hard to take a position on a tax bill uh, without reading it. I mean, for me anyway, I'm, I, liked, I like details, I guess, and, you know, to have a, a bill 
in such length, you know, if I was in the House of Representatives or whatever, I would at least have a team of lawyers and interpreters of the sort to explain this whole thing to me and what it means. Um, but there, there have been all, uh, all these articles going out around this. It, it passed, and it's seen as you know is generally tax cuts. There's there's tax cuts for the middle class. There's tax cuts for the rich. There's tax cuts for most people. Uh, and, and but all these news articles are coming out, and just trashing this uh, this tax bill here. They're saying it's a uh, you know, it's going to destroy everything. It's going to blow up the world and everything else. And, you know, I didn't I didn't bookmark all these, so I'm just going to go off of memory. But I think one of the first ones I, I read was on Huffington Post. And there were actually two. Uh, and I actually, I do have one from the Huffington Post, so I'll, I'll open that one up. So we can take a look at it. But the first one uh, was titled... Let me see, maybe actually, if, if I can find it, it'd be better than going off of memory. But I did look before the show started, and it wasn't on the front page anymore. It was on the front page this morning. Well, I can't find it, but it was titled something to the effect of the tax bill will raise taxes for many people. And something of that nature. And the article went on to say that 80% of middle-class Americans will see their taxes cut, or maybe it, perhaps it was 80% of all Americans. And then it said 5% of people wouldn't see a tax increase. So, And that left the 15% somewhere else. And this article actually, it seemed to try to paint a story in a way to draw sympathy for this person who had person in California. I don't know what, I forgot what the profession was. Uh, but this person who had $30,000 or $30,000 planned in tax deductions, claims. And this is the first time I'd ever I, I, well, I, I'd never thought I'd see a, an article on the Huffington Post um, that it was almost sympathetic to a guy not receiving tax breaks. And then there's this other article, and then there's more. They're endless. But it it all goes to Yes, most people are getting their tax cuts, but, you know, but there's there's something we found that isn't a complete positive. There's there's something we can find wrong with this and you've been deceived that and and everything else. So here's a another article that uh, well this is from Yahoo News, but it originated from Huffington Post and it's titled Trump promised a tax cut aimed at the middle class. Looks like he missed badly. There's like two dashes between missed and badly. Donald Trump promised as he ran for president that the middle class would get a massive tax cut of 
And it doesn't have his actual quote of what he promised. Uh, not saying that he didn't promise a massive tax cut for the middle class, because it definitely sounds like something he'd say, but... It's hard to trust modern media when they don't use exact quotes. Because their context can be all over the place, depending on whatever narrative they want to uh, put in place here. Continuing on, after taking office, he promised that cuts would be aimed squarely at the middle class. Stock economic aides promised a tax system no less progressive than the one in place today. So the article goes on to say that uh, instead of the promised 35%, the taxes will be cut by 10% for the middle class. So now keep in mind that the, the article said Trump promised a tax cut aimed at the middle class. Looks like he missed badly. Well, the, the article then just says that the middle class is getting a tax cut, so he he. I guess he didn't aim that badly, but I think where, well, the, the gotcha is is that uh, they said 35%, or they said he said 35%, um, or promised 35%. I'm saying, I'm doing promised in quotes here, so because they didn't put an actual quote from Trump, but uh, the little gotcha here is, well, it's not 35%, it's actually 10%. Well, then they go on to say that the percentage will go down the most for the wealthiest. So that's that's def, that's their definition of um, aiming a tax of the middle class and missing badly is is uh, I mean getting a tax cut for the middle class, but also getting a, a more uh, big or a bigger you know percentage, according to this article for uh, wealthier you know the wealthier class. So whether you agree with that or not, it kind of give it kind of shows you the bias of how badly they're picking at this. Now, to me, um, giving a higher percentage of relief for the wealthy doesn't bother me because the wealthy pay a higher percentage anyway. Um, I'm not necessarily opposed to a flat tax. I'd actually like to see. No income tax at all. That's an entirely different story. But I'm going to get to my main point in a second here. Uh, because I want to point out this other thing this article is pointing out. Uh, is is that there is a expiration date on this. The tax cuts for individuals expire after 2025. All the while, 40% or the 40% reduction in corporate income tax is forever. So it's just uh, the wording of this article. It doesn't matter that, uh, you know, most people get to keep more money in their wallet, as they should, you know, especially for your income. The whole income tax deal imposes a notion on you that the government owns the fruits of your labor from the get-go, before it even, or before it can even land in your wallet, if you're an employee of a or of a company, uh, this article, like many, just it jumps on any fact, no matter how insignificant, to just paint this as a raw deal. Well, it's good, um, but not not in entirely good. 
you know, conservative media is celebrating this, and everybody seems to be missing the big picture as I see it is the debt. Well, not everybody. There is something that Peter Schiff said that stuck with me. That's something that I agree with. Is he said that debt is a larger problem than current taxes. And the reason why I agree with that is because of something that I always say is the greatest threat to national security is the debt. Because the more debt we owe, the weaker we are the weaker future generations are going to be, uh, the more outside influences, enterprises, and other influences from, and government influences from other nations, they take on the debt. The more debt they own, the more influence they have. And the last thing we want to be is in massive debt to a bunch of outside influences or consolidated influences within the United States. The debt continues to rise and is projected to continue to rise about $0.8 trillion per year until about 2025, according to usgovernmentdebt.us. Assuming their data is correct, and it looks to be on par with numbers I've seen elsewhere. They have a, you can, there's actually a live, a real-time debt clock you can see on usdebtclock.org. We're currently at 20.604794999 trillion. So $20.6 trillion. I'm going to I'm going to recommend a different site, usgovernmentspending.com. Yeah, usgovernmentspending.com. They have a chart from 1960 to uh, 2021, and one column they have GDP, US in a, a billion dollar nominal, and gross public debt, billion dollar nominal along with population. But I thought the most interesting columns were the GDP and the debt starting at 1960. So you got uh, $543 billion in GDP and $290 billion in debt. So roughly twice as much GDP as debt, not exactly but close, and it kind of continues that trend where there's a little bit less than twice as much GDP than debt up until around the year, oh, maybe around 2001, around the Bush time. Now keep in mind there were, there was a Republican-controlled House for a, for a period of that time, there was a Republican-controlled Senate, Republican-controlled Congress, and a Republican president. And by the end of 2008, there, instead of a little bit more than a half or twice as much GDP as debt, we were getting to about uh, 
our debt was about two-thirds of our GDP. Obama gets in the office, and two years later, in 2011, our debt is more, or our, yeah, our debt, or, or it's close, it close to, I take that back, it, it got, it got real close in 2011, or 2010, and it was the year 2013 where our debt increased and exceeded our GDP with our GDP being at 16.691 trillion dollars and our debt being at 16.719 trillion dollars and it looks like for 2017 we are at 19 trillion dollars or at the beginning anyway uh, I'll just go for I'll just skip to 2018 cuz it looks like the closest to where we're at now uh, with our debt being at 20 trillion our debt being at 21 trillion and our GDP being at 20 trillion and according to this projected chart it doesn't from 2021 it doesn't look like the gap will grow in fact it might shrink uh, with the <clears throat> debts being about a hundred billion over GDP. So while the right, so-called right, celebrates the tax cuts, which I won't entirely blame them for because individuals can spend their money better than governments can, and with the left calling this a robbery of the country, and a tax cuts for the 1%, as I've seen in the headlines, it doesn't seem like anybody is talking about our massive spending problem. Now, it would be great if this new tax plan cuts so much taxes that these businesses are going to grow out of control bringing our GDP up that much higher. But that is yet to be seen, and that's one thing I will rate Trump's presidency on. I mean, one of the main things, probably the top thing, you know, would be the debt. That's the one hopeful thing. And there's there's other things that I'd like to see, I'd like to see him do, but I'm just not hopeful at all. <clears throat> Such as uh, abolishing the IRS and Scrapping the Federal Reserve System and legalizing gold and silver as legal tender. But there are way too many giant influences in the <laughs> in this world uh, that would throw their entire weight uh, behind, you know, anything to prevent that from happening. A lot of powerful people are heavily invested in our current system and Legalizing gold and silver as legal tender would just completely crash the Federal uh, Federal Reserve note, which a lot of big banks are dependent on. However, if you want to adjust money for the citizens, you need a sound money, and 
you know, all fiat currencies like the Federal Reserve note have a beginning and an end, unfortunately. So I'd say, you know, better, better do it sooner than later. And the other main story I want to uh, touch on is the Bundy trial. I don't really think I, I entirely have all the facts for this because I don't know. I, I don't think Cliven Bundy is released or I don't know if this is going to another trial or if this is just wiped off completely. I'm not really sure. Uh, but anyway, I got a couple articles here talking about the uh, federal judge declaring a mistrial for the latest Bundy case. Now they all got off on the case in Oregon. Now this case that they're dealing with now stems back to the first standoff in Nevada. Each article I have has some information and is missing other information. So I'm just flipping through here, through these here, while clicking away ads. A federal judge declared a mistrial Wednesday in the case involving Cliven Bundy and his two sons after she found that prosecutors willfully failed to turn over evidence related to an armed standoff three years ago. Beginning with this story on the Los, Los Angeles Times titled Judge Declares Miss Trial. In the case of Nevada Rancher Standoff with Federal Government by David Ontero. It is not possible to go forward with the case Judge Navarro told juries, jurors rather, and this is uh, Judge Gloria Navarro, U.S. District. Spokeswoman for the U.S. Attorney's Office said it had no comment on Navarro's decision. Prosecutors have an opportunity to retry the case. So I guess that answers the question I asked before. And the judge told both sides to submit briefs by December 29th. Uh, and then Navarro told a packed courtroom she would also rule on whether it would be a mistrial with prejudice. That decision would effectively end the possibility of a new trial for Bundy. And his sons Ammon and Ryan. And, uh, and a supporter Robert, Ryan Payne. Who one of these articles calls a militia leader. That is not verified by me, and whether he is or not, uh, I I wouldn't trust a news article or a news outlet from the city to even know what a militia leader is. I mean, he's some of these people are, are just so incredibly stupid that they'll they'll look at a, they'll look up a guy's internet postings, and and if he has opinions about something, they'll call him a, a leader, or from a militia or something like that. But there is uh, some information I found. It had to do with more to do with why the mis why the mistrial was declared. And I'll get to that in a second. This article says twice this year. This uh, Los Angeles Times article I'm continuing with. It says twice this year Las Vegas juries acquitted or deadlocked on multiple felony charges against Bundy's supporters. So these prosecutors really aren't having a good time nailing these people. Which is pretty telling. 
it's hard to get all the information about this from the media, who I don't really think understand the situation. Uh, a lot of media outlets are treating this as a surprise, but you can get interviews from people who are following the story or supporters who are saying, um, well, one guy in particular, maybe I'll, I'll find his name in one of these articles here. They're saying that this, there's no way this trial is ever going to see a jury because uh, that's how bad, in their opinion, that the prosecutor's case was. There's another article on motherjones.com that's titled, The government has screwed up the Bundy case even worse than we realized. Saying the government willfully uh, withheld evidence from defense lawyers that was potentially helpful to their case. And I'll try to find more details on that. Um, but this one says that Navarro set a uh, a new trial date of February 26th. That could change. Here's an interesting piece of this article. Uh, and they're talking about the um, standoff in Oregon, which this current trial isn't for, but this is one, you know, at the wildlife refuge. The article says the evidence against the Bundys was overwhelming. There was extensive video footage of the Oregon takeover and of the two dozen or so militants inside the refuge. No fewer than nine were FBI informants. So that's that's very telling of how, <laughs> how polluted these groups are. Out of two dozen, nine were FBI informants. And I really wonder about the all these like white nationalists and whatever Daily Stormer kind of people, and these people that flood the internet with all this propaganda. I mean, there are released FBI documents and laying out, you know, all the plans that they had and, and all the actions they took, infiltrating groups, you know, to ag agitate. So whenever you see the stuff on the internet being posted of, of these fringe groups and probably Antifa too. I mean, just, just keep it in, in mind that if there aren't paid actors contributing to this propaganda or trolling or, or whatever, whatever these people are doing, these actions, these Whatever these protests, whether whether they're, they're Antifa protests, smashing windows, or neckbeards carrying tiki torches in a park, uh, if there aren't paid actors in these groups, that would be a major exception to the rule. I think that's amazing. I never heard that before. Out of two dozen militants, no fewer than nine were FBI informants. That's that's pretty much half. It said no fewer than nine, so there might be more. There might be like 10 or 11 or 12. Uh, two dozen is 24. <laughs> so, why, 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 why are there almost half, why are almost half the people in this takeover informants did, did they come afterwards and did they sneak their way in somehow or were they agitating this from the start 
It's very strange. I'd like to know more about that, so... Perhaps I'll, perhaps I'll have an update on that in a future episode. Or if you know more, more about that, uh, leave a comment, email me at adam at caldwellmadison.com. Let's see what else. So there's, there's an article on outsideonline.com, and I don't know if I've ever visited this site before, but they have a little bit more uh, detailed information about some of the items in this case that led to the uh, the, the mistrial decision. And it's an article called The Government is Botching Another Bundy Trial. And a subheadline, the family has long argued that the government was willing to bend the rules to put the family away. Now a judge seems to be listening. Just so definitely a different tone in this article. Right? You can typically <laughs> tell the bias of an article just from the headline. Typically. Though I, I've been surprised in the past. Now they say not to judge a book by its cover. So some of this exculpatory evidence, <laughs> whatever that word is, uh, uh, that prosecutors have failed to turn over to defense lawyers uh, apparently included video footage, evidence that an FBI agent had an AR-style rifle near the family home and FBI threat assessments, all of which seemed to have potential to back up a central plank of the defense that the family brought armed protesters to the ranch in self-defense because they were surrounded by what they feared was hostile force of government snipers. With uh, Gloria Navarro apparently saying that the that situation could undermine the confidence in the outcome of the trial. The uh, court is inclined to find that this information was not timely provided. <clears throat> but I guess there was also this sealed whistleblower report leaked and shared by a Washington state representative. It says it's a report that seems likely to append the government's case against the Bundys. That will probably do more than any event since the shooting death of Lavoie Finnicum to add anger and recrimination to the already fervent conflict over public lands in the West. Lavoie Finnicum, uh, you can, well, his death was actually captured on camera. That was with the Oregon refuge situation. I believe there were four or five of them in a car, and they were met with. Law enforcement, Voight Finnegan uh, got out of the car. He kind of like, it looked like he kind of ran up on a hill and it looked like he was either patting his jacket. Maybe he was looking, reaching for his gun or whatever. I don't know if that was going to be his last stand, but he ends up getting shot. There, He actually has some YouTube videos too. I don't know if they're still up, but actually I remember watching a, a couple of videos of his before that whole situation happened. So I was looking up some of the the whole rancher. Um, I was looking up some of some of the. Well, I found his videos. Looking up some of the uh, rancher conflicts that were going on around the time of the, or after the, the Bundy standoff in Nevada, <clears throat> and he was talking about how. The BLM was draining his water reserves or something like that, and he was going to stop. Paying his fees, I believe. I'm sure 
Well, I'm not sure those are still up, but they, they could be. So back to this report that was leaked. Uh, it says, if true, it was written by a man named Larry Wooten, who describes himself as BLM's lead investigator in the case that led to the failed attempt to round up the cattle, which is the whole reason why this thing started for the Nevada standoff. Apparently he wrote, the longer the investigation went on, the more extremely unprofessional, familiar, racy, vulgar, and bias-filled actions and appropriate electronic communications I was made aware of or I personally witnessed. In my opinion, these issues were likely to undermine the investigation, cast considerable doubt on the professionalism of our agency, and could be possibly used to claim investigator bias slash unprofessionalism. And the article goes on to say the details are lured and slightly funny. Wooten says the investigative team describes subjects as retards, rednecks, overweight women with the big jowls, douchebags, and tractor face. I don't know what tractor face is, among other things. He also accuses Dan Love, the now fired special agent in charge of sending photos of his feces and his girlfriend's vagina to subordinates. Which is maybe less serious than the fact that Wooten alleges Love operated in a more or less private fiefdom and ignored warnings from state and federal law enforcement to lead the most intrusive, oppressive, large-scale, and militaristic trespass cattle impound possible. That's in quotes. And there's also an alleged anti-Mormon bias along with all this stuff. I don't know if I can find any quotes regarding that. Well, anyway, it should be in very interesting um, to follow coming up. Uh, it should be very interesting if the Bundys get let off completely. I mean, this they there is a major, major grudge between that family and the BLM, as you can tell. <laughs> so uh, they're gonna they're gonna try whatever they can. Uh, apparently, uh, what they've been trying so far hasn't been working out. I doubt you'll see a Hollywood movie on this one. Not for a while. Unless it's some kind of conservative-backed thing. And I think, you know, the whole Bundy situation, I think for a lot of Americans, they're probably outsiders both on the left and the right. Unless it's the left-wingers that are flooding uh, all the online and comment sections with uh, welfare queens and everything else for these. Because they use the uh, <clears throat> federal land to graze the cattle. It's not... Like on the east, eastern half, where... The states own most of their land. You get a lot of the states out west. The federal government owns much of the land. And for generations, the uh, ranching families have used the federal land. You know, and contract contracts and all this other stuff with uh, regard, uh, regards to that to do their ranching. 
So you can see why there's a big movement with ranchers to try to either bring the, the land back to the states or you know sell it to sell it privately or to private ranchers or whatever, however it would work. There's a interview Eminem gives to some outlet called Vulture. Apparently Eminem doesn't do interviews that often, but this one, if I can spell Eminem right. This particular interview there, well, he goes, they ask him about the Trump stuff and you know, he's still, he's still hurt that uh, Trump won't talk to him or acknowledge him like a, like a poor lost child who misses his dad. So they, they're talking to him about dating and they ask him, do you date? And he says, it's tough since my divorce. I've had a few days, but nothing panned out. Nothing or nothing he wanted to make public. And the interview asks, when you were dating, how'd you meet people? Tinder? And his answer was, I mean, yeah. Because I think the interviewer was joking. Like, how do you meet people? Tinder? And he's like, I mean, yeah. He's like, yeah, Tinder. Are you, he says, are you being serious? Yeah, Tinder. Really? And he laughs and says, and Grinder. I also used to go to strip clubs. So there's not the audio, but these people are thinking he's gay now. Um, and he can't really tell because he can't hear the tone of his voice. It says laugh in brackets and grinder. So yeah, Tinder laughs or and grinder. I also used to go to strip clubs. But he could be laughing because he's uncomfortable about talking about his dating. He could be laughing because he's joking about Grinder, but he says Tinder, but then jokes about Grinder and then talks about going to strip clubs. It just it doesn't seem like he's joking, um, which is just all the more hilarious, given given his controversies in the past, his so-called controversies, talking about gay stuff. But you know, other people pointing out, well, you know, if, if you're frequently talking. About gay stuff or picking on gays, it's a trait that you are gay yourself. Oh yeah, interesting. Maybe maybe that was a, a slip of the tongue there. I don't know if he said anything after that. I didn't hear about it. But... Uh, the other reason why I thought that was funny is because uh, him and uh, other Detroit rappers, ICP would go back and forth, uh, each with their own gay accusations for the other. So, funny stuff there. Our next topic is titled, Disturbing New Details Emerge from, Emerge on Track Palin's Arrest. And this is a guy, his name is Track. If you didn't know, is Sarah Palin's son, Track? I guess I've probably heard that before. 28-year-old war veteran uh, charged with first-degree burglary, fourth-degree assault, and criminal mischief. Uh, Track Palin is accused of breaking into his parents' home and beating his father during a domestic ex- uh, a domestic dispute. His mother, Sarah Palin, reportedly called police during the incident warning that her son was freaking out and was on some type of medication. The affidavit filed by Wasilla Police Officer Adam LaPointe 
or Lapante, also claims Trek told his father, Todd Palin, that he planned to beat his ass. Todd Palin uh, allegedly brandished a gun for protection when his son first arrived. At one point during the encounter, Trek Palin pleaded with his father to shoot him. According to the affidavit, affidavit, rather, if I could talk. Wow. That is uh, some crazy stuff. Actually, I didn't read this article until now. I set it aside. Uh, the article says uh, uh, tracks, it's not Trax's first brush with the law. He's arrested in 2016 after his girlfriend reported that he struck her with a closed fist and kicked her on the ground um, before threatening to kill himself with an AR-15 rifle. And I guess he ultimately pleaded guilty to misconduct and possession of weapon while intoxicated. And the prosecution dismissed all further charges. Okay, he got away with a plea deal there. Um, at the time, his mother, Sarah Palin, seems to suggest uh, PTSD. So, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty nuts. I mean, his, his own... He breaks into his parents' house and his own... Uh, his own dad had to pull a gun on him. You know, resulting in a... confrontation with a track you know saying shoot me um not exactly something that a family wants but uh and that you know that's a sad price of war so you know it happens to people in our families it happens to people in politicians families and i guess i always personally thought of sarah palin as kind of a hawk and perhaps she still is and if you ask me, that's a, a prime example of uh, a major negative con, or a major, a prime example of a major negative consequence of the militarism that we are engaged in. And if we're talking about national security, and I know this is a different topic, but we're talking about national security, there are much better ways, in my opinion, of securing our nation. One of those being wiping every last bit of foreign aid we give clean away. So here we have, in the comments section, the number one comment, uh, some, some right ass saying, I guess track went off the rails. Nothing surprising there. And then I mentioned this opioid article on fake news CNN. So if CNN suggests that Opioids kill more people than breast cancer. I don't think I could really assume that's fake news. Now, I could think of, uh, you know, a handful of people, I guess more than a handful, um, that have succumbed to opioids in one way or another, wrecked their lives or, or dead. And you know, I was thinking about this before, when I saw this article earlier, uh, I actually might know more people or met more people in my life. I have known people that I've known. Uh, more people might have actually died uh, that got hooked on this stuff than 
simply ruined their life or, you know, spent a night or two in the hospital or in jail. And it was usually from... You just started with Oxycontin or Oxycodone and ended up with just uh, straight up heroin. Lives lost, families ruined. Lives ruined. It's one of the nastiest demons you can probably find. And that's an opinion from someone who's never tried it, but has seen the lies uh, either, you know, become ruined or cease to exist. According to this article on CNN, more than 63,600 lives were lost to drug overdose in 2016. Most lethal year yet of a uh, drug overdose epidemic, according to a new report from the National Center of Health Statistics. Uh, so uh, they have this graph here for 2016. The total drug overdoses would be 63,632, and of those opioids, 42,249 so 66% article claims that the increase was or the article claims the increase was driven by the rise of uh, synthetics like fentanyl and tramadol I don't think that's what started it in my opinion would be the legal stuff you get when you get to have an injury. You know, I haven't had a major injury. I haven't had a major injury where I was ever offered oxycodone personally. I had my wisdom teeth taken out and they gave me Vicodin. Now, for what I remember of Vicodin, uh, it made you tired, but it didn't it made you not care about anything. At this point in my life, and after seeing what I've seen, and uh, you know, with people in addiction, you know, and, and I like addiction like the next person. I, my new thing now is coffee. Uh, but uh, you know, I think if I really you know busted my ass, whatever you know, broke a bone or whatever, and they wanted to put me on oxycodone. I would probably just say shove it. I'll deal with the pain. I mean, there are, well, there are other drugs you can take. I mean, I've taken Vicodin, I guess, and, and didn't get addicted to it. But, you know, if anything, just give me some uh, ibuprofen or aspirin. And, uh... Yeah, I'll deal with the pain. Young and old, by the way. This isn't, you know, just young people getting addicted to this stuff. Old people are, too. It's pretty sad. Well, before I wrap it up, you know, I talked about debt before. And I thought, you know, this is going to be the real, the true test of the Trump presidency for me. Is how he handles the debt. 
you know, that's being that's the the number one, you know, national security problem in my opinion is is the debt and it's you know, it's a freedom thing too. You're you're not a free people if you're a people in debt. You're not a secure people if you are a people in debt. So, debt is bad is my point. Uh there's an article on finance.yahoo.com titled Ivanka Trump tax cuts and deregulation will ultimately eliminate national debt. I saw this in the sidebar, so this should be interesting. This is an article by Eliza Relman of the Business Insider. Some bullet points here. Ivanka Trump appeared on Fox News morning show Fox and Friends for the second time this week to promote the GOP tax bill. Trump said that she and Senator Bob Corker, a lifetime deficit hawk, believe the tax cuts combined with deregulation will ultimately eliminate the country's $20.6 trillion in debt. That theory flies in the face of virtually all nonpartisan research, which shows that the GOP bill will increase the deficit up to $1.4 trillion. So and that's uh, my concern too. You know, you can't just cut taxes and not cut spending. But let's see if they make the case that businesses are just going to do so much better <laughs> that uh, somehow this isn't going to wipe the debt off. Well, you know, even if it does increase the GDP, you know, I was talking about GDP versus the, you know, the debt ratio. If it, it would be nice if we can get the GDP about twice the national debt again, like like it was in 1960. In the short term, I don't know if that's really possible. That would be nice, and it's not like even the end goal for me. The end goal would be no debt. Debt just isn't good. It's not good for your household. It's not good for your country. And you know, you don't have to have debt. Uh, debt is a tool to... I Debt's like alcohol to me. You know, you're... you're you know, I don't know if you ever heard that saying. I heard it. Um, alcohol... The more alcohol you drink it is the more fun you're... Taking from the next day. Like you're you're sucking tomorrow's fun. You're sucking a portion of tomorrow's fun out with every beer you drink or every glass of wine you drink or every whiskey you have, uh, because you know, well, you're gonna wake up with a hangover. And uh, a national debt hangover isn't something a country wants to have. You lose your power. You lose your influence. Your military is weak. And, you know, when all this stuff happens, your rights magically disappear for various reasons. For various promises and everything else. So let's see what their reasoning is. Uh, It just says um, the debt will erode with the growth of the economy that's not very <laughs> detailed maybe this article is just terrible which 
I would have put it past Business Insider or any article on the Yahoo News feed to be less than lacking of information. Let's, I'm just gonna look at this YouTube video that the article is pointing to. Maybe we'll we'll get we'll get the actual quotes here. It looks like it's ten minutes long. I'll try to cut some of this out. Special advisor to the president, who also happens to be her father. Ivanka, good morning good to morning you. Good morning to you. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you. What a day to be here to celebrate. No kidding. And your your name actually has been linked to this for a while because you uh, were pushing an increase in the child tax credit. In the ultimate uh, final bill, it essentially is doubled. And I know you also had Mike Lee with you, the senator from Utah, and Marco Rubio as well. Explain to the folks at home what it's going to do for them. Well, the president was very clear that he really wanted to ensure that this bill accomplished two goals of enabling American businesses to grow and be competitive and therefore lead to wage increase for for working Americans, but to also target relief at middle income families. Mm -hmm. And the child tax credit is an incredible vehicle to do that. We all know the cost of raising children has gone up exponentially in this country as until recently wages have stagnated. So raising children is very expensive expensive but it's the most important investment that we as a country can make in the in in the future mm -hmm. this is this is the next generation of american workers american entrepreneurs and innovators so the child tax credit was doubled the refundability was expanded um, very importantly the um, standard deduction the standard um, for the average family the standard deduction was actually doubled which is enormously beneficial mm -hmm. the child independent tax care credit okay well nobody listen nobody cares about children so i'm just gonna keep skipping ahead here and see if i can find these comments about the debt for hours and workers at some of the companies that we all use on a daily basis are benefiting for instance at&t 200,000 of their employees are getting a thousand dollars each before christmas and then at wells fargo the hourly wages are now going up to fifteen dollars an hour fifth third bank their wages are going up to fifteen dollars well, a couple popular talking we know points. that this is going there's a couple uh, popular talking points that we're going on their own news today and conservative outlets um, they're saying how you know the middle class is ripping the benefits of uh, these bonuses and and so forth you know, many of you probably heard that skipping along further here all right anyway i'm skipping around this video and i'm not hearing anything about the national debt um, maybe she touched on it for a second but uh, if, if it's for a second it's, she's not likely to say anything of substance that is going to put me at ease about the national debt so yeah great on cutting taxes now cut spending um it is a public service announcement brought to you by me from caldwell madison review and i'll thank you for tuning in uh caldwell madison review episode 76 and uh be sure to tune in next time and i'll have a i'll have the christmas episode for monday Perhaps I'll record that early Christmas Eve, or I'll record it on Monday. I don't know. Either way, it's getting recorded. Um, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. I'll 
Hope to catch you next time.